Good service. Let's give them a big hand as they go their way. Amen. We want to welcome all of you that are here today, too, for the first time. Uh, this may be your first time here at Celebration Church. God bless you guys. Thanks you. Thanks for being with us today. And all of you joining us online, we want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of the service today. Now, you should have an outline that says the sacred six of God's Word. Do you have that? Some of you will have it in Swahili. Others of you will have it in English. And uh, I even filled in the blanks in Swahili. I'm not really that talented, but Microsoft Word does a really good job. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, well, we haven't said this in quite a while, but uh, we, need to, we need to say God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Now in Swahili, mungu numwema. Wakatawote. Wakatawote. Mungu numwema. And God is good, regardless of whatever language you say it in. And it's all the time. It's not just some of the time. Say that out loud. It's not just some of the time. It's all the time. What I want to share with you today, we're going to be looking at the book of uh, Psalm chapter 19. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. But what I want to share with you today is something that, that uh, well, Dave mentioned it a little bit, but it's what I've been teaching about is the Word of God, the sword of the Lord. We're on a series called The Sword of the Lord. And uh, I am concerned that the church of Jesus Christ really, really lives by this book. It's what we're called to do. You know, when I, when I was called to preach, um, the scripture that came to my heart was what Paul said when he said, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know, God doesn't call us to speak our own thoughts. He's called us to speak His thoughts because His are the only ones that change His lives. The Word of God is the thing that He has talked to us about, about uh, that changes lives. And I want to read in the book of Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now, what, what, what I want you to catch in this is God's Word is going to be called six different things, but it's the same thing. And what you're going to find in here is you're going to find six titles. You're going to find six characteristics, and you're going to find six works that it will do. Start it again, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Bow with me and say this prayer with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, speak to my heart and change my life. Amen. Now, I want you to see this scripture in Psalm chapter 138 and verse 2. This scripture is out of the New King James Version. Here's what it says. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Now watch this. For you have magnified your word above all your name. You have magnified your word even above your name. Now can you imagine that? Can you even imagine that? God has exalted. God has magnified His word even above His name. How many have ever heard that a a man's word was his bond? In other words, a man was only as good as his word. So his name meant nothing if his word meant nothing. That's why the word is even above the name. Because it's the word that is the foundation of God. It's the word, the Bible, that God has given us. This book, church, I want to tell you this. This is a sacred trust. And I'm concerned that the 21st century church doesn't pay, play fast and loose with this. Where, where, you know, it's not accurately taught. Or it's not accurately preached. And, you know, it's not studied or read with commitment. And that churches don't apply it and live it out. I'm concerned about that. There was a radio talk show one day that had a lady call in. And she asked the talk show host a question. And she said, how do I know how to tell whether a church is a good church? What should I look for? In a church. And the host of the program said, Well, what you look for in a church is fellowship, sharing, and caring. And folks, that's the wrong answer. Now bear with me for a minute. I'm not saying those things aren't good things, but that's the wrong answer because you can find that in a lot of places. You can find fellowship. Caring and sharing in clubs, in the Elks Club, in uh, any, anything you can buy a membership to. Amen? You know, you can find it in the, the uh, brotherly paternal order of the royal goats. I don't know, whatever it is. You can find fellowship, sharing, and caring. The question that you want answered is, how do they handle the book? How do they handle God's Word? And this Psalm 19, 7 through 11 is a great passage on the Word of God, specifically verses 7 through 9. They provide us the greatest comprehensive statement in God's Word about the sufficiency of God's Word anywhere in the Bible. Now, for uh, all of you English-speaking, I, I didn't fill in the blanks for you. I did, I did for our Swahili brothers and sisters, but... I want you to fill in the blanks here of the things we see. And let's go ahead and pull these scriptures up. 
back again in Psalm chapter 19 and verse 7. And uh, I want you to look at a few things here with me about the sacredness of God's Word. I've called them the sacred six. And there's sacred titles, six of them, sacred characteristics, six of them, and sacred works, six of them. So actually I have a total of 18 things we're looking at. But I want you to just look at this, six titles for God's Word. Number one, it is the law of the Lord. It's God's law. Everybody say His law. Now, we've got laws, but you know what? Most of our laws came from His laws. Why is it wrong to commit murder? Because God said so. Why is it wrong to commit adultery? Because God first said so. And so you look in all these things, and you'll find that the law of the Lord is a sacred title. And the, the word law in, in the Hebrew is the word Torah. And that word means instruction. It means doctrine. It means God's ways revealed to man. So if you're writing anything down, you might dot some of those, jot some of those things down. It is, it is, a, it is a, a divine instruction relative to creed, what our creeds are, what we, what we believe, what we hold to. You see, it, it's what you believe. It's what is, is uh, relative to your character. It's, it's what, what, we, what we are. It's relative to our conduct. You know, why do you act the way you act? Why do you believe what you believe? In fact, what is it that you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the only Son of God? You see, some people believe that Jesus lived. Some people believe Jesus was a good guy. Some people believe he was a great prophet. Some people believe he was a great teacher. They just don't believe he was God. And yet God's Word says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then you read a little bit further on down and says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. That's Jesus. You say, well, where was Jesus in creation? He was there drawn in the ground, the form of Adam. You said, Jesus did that? Jesus did that. You see, it's teaching from God for living life. That's what the law of the Lord is. Secondly, the testimony of the Lord. And here's the second fill in the blank. Testimony. Here we see another step in building this tremendous presentation of God's Word. The word testimony looks at God's Word not only as instruction, but also as divine witness. If you give a testimony, you're witnessing to something. And that's what God's doing. So the, the law of the Lord's perfect, restoring the soul, but the testimony of the Lord, it's sure making wise the simple. So in other words, this uh, divine witness is God himself giving testimony to who he is and what he requires. Are you with me? Stay with me. Number three, the statutes of the Lord. That's your third fill in the blank. This has the idea of divine principles of divine precepts, of divine guidelines. How many of you ever heard of the statute of limitations? It's a precept. It's a principle that, that 
after so long, maybe a crime cannot be held against the person. There's a, there's a limitation, a statute. Okay? So, number four, we see the commandment of the Lord. And the word commandment emphasizes authority. It reveals the non-optional character of Scripture. That means God's Word isn't a list of suggestions. I love what Billy Graham used to say. He used to say, God's Word says these are the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. God's not suggesting you not lie. He's commanding it. God's not suggesting you not sleep with your neighbor's spouse. He's commanding it. Are you with me? The church even needs to hear that today. Young couples that say they're Christians need to hear that today. Amen? You don't live together, have sex together, and then get married, according to God's Word. You get married, then you live together, and can start a family. And someone needs to stand up and say that unapologetically, according to the Word of God. Amen? Now, I know that's not going to probably garner a lot of popularity in our current culture, but we're not called to be popular. We're called to be godly. Amen. Amen, Pastor Drew. That's good preaching. It's commandments, binding authoritative commandments. Number five, the fear of the Lord. Now, this is a great word. The fear of the Lord It's clean, enduring forever. Now watch this. The word fear, God's God's word should convey fear in the tone of reverence. In fact, there are some churches, and I don't think it's a bad idea, they stand when the word of God is written or read. In reverence. There was a day when a lady would walk into the room and the men would stand. Why? Show honor. Pull out a chair, have her be seated. But the fear is the awesomeness of God. The fear of God is to bring about a reverential awe to draw men to worship God. And the word fear is used in the sense of what it seeks to produce, reverence, awe. Church, I want to say this. When the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, we're not going to have it. We're just going to fall to our knees. You know, a lot of times in revival, when we see people fall out under the power of God, it's like, why are people falling out? Because the presence of God is so thick, is so real, you can't stand in the presence of God. It's like when they dedicated the temple. The priest couldn't even stand to minister. Smoke filled the room. And the sixth thing is the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Now, this is kind of a scary one, if I can be real honest with you. Because, church, I want to say this. The Bible says His Word is settled forever in heaven. There's no change in this. 
There's no culture going to change it. There's no country going to change it. There's no law that's going to change it. And God will ultimately be the judge as to what we did with it. You see, the judgments of the Lord, that means a sentence. That means a formal decree. They're true. There's a lot going on today that says it's truth. Or people saying, well, this is my truth. Listen. Truth is not personal or impersonal. Truth is truth. And it can't be changed. And I just want you to understand something, that the enemy is a... He is a master deceiver that can make people think that what they're doing is true when in reality it's not. Now watch this. We have divine decrees in God's Word, and we have divine verdicts. If you read it, you'll see them. There's going to come a day that God will judge every thought of every man. The Bible says that there is a day called the judgment seat of Christ that every believer will be before. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, it says that there is going to be a day of the Lord called the great white throne judgment, where every sinner will be before God, and they will have no excuse because God's going to bring out books. And they're going to say, but Lord, I didn't do that. He says, yes, you did. September 21, 2023. I've got it marked in the book. And you go, oh. You see, the Bible is God's judicial determination for the life of man and eternal destiny from the eternally supreme judge. So it is the law of the Lord. It is the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. It is all these things in title. But it is also six characteristics. Now watch this. Let's go ahead and bring them up again in verse 7. The Bible says that the the law of the Lord is, in verse 7, is what? Perfect. And to understand this, we need only to understand that it comes from the God who is perfect. It literally means this, all-sided. All-sided. So it is completely covering all aspects of a thing. It is comprehensive. It lacks nothing. I'm going to repeat that. It lacks nothing. You don't have to add, you can't add anything to it. In fact, there's a curse if we do. Add anything to it or subtract something to it, that will be added to you in judgment or reduced from you in judgment. So it is the comprehensive source of teaching from God, which therefore embodies all that is necessary to the spiritual life of God's people. God's law is perfect. Say perfect. Say this, perfect law. Number two, it is sure, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So it's, it means that in contrast to being unsure, 
How many people you know today, they're just unsure. What is right? What is wrong? What is right? What is wrong? I don't know. It's right there. The testimony of the Lord, He knows what He's talking about. He's the one giving testimony to it. He, it is sure. So it means it's not, it's not insecure. It's not unsure. It's not wavering. It's not changing. It's not shifting. It's not unreliable. It's not untrustworthy. There, there's none of those things that we get with man. None of those things are found in God's Word. You see, sure means unwavering, immovable, unmistakable, worthy to be trusted, reliable. So God's Word is therefore the foundation upon which your life and your eternal destiny can be built without hesitation. That's why when it comes time to die, you don't have anything to fear. Because Jesus already overcame that too. So it's perfect. It's sure. Number three, it's right. The Bible says that the precepts of the Lord are right. His statutes are right. It means that they, they show the true path. They give you uh, correct guidance. It is a dependable chart. It is a compass with which to guide your life with. Number four, it is pure. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure. That means it's clear. It's not foggy. It's not cloudy. It's not muddy. I just had to get my, a new prescription for my glasses because things had changed. Things were an, out of focus. And praise God, the one eye is doing better. I'm actually, it's because it's overcorrected that I can't see clear. I'm like, cool. That's good. But it's pure. You know, the book in, of Psalm chapter 119, verse 105 says this about the Word of God. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Amen? You see, it, it's clear. Notice this in number, number five, it is clean. Wonderful word. It means the absence of impurity, the absence of filthiness, the absence of defilement, and the absence of imperfection. It's without sin, without evil, uh, without corruption, and without error. In chapter 12, and verse 6 of the book of Psalms, David says that, his, that God's words are pure words like silver purified seven times in a furnace. You know, uh, this water is 100% pure. I'm so glad it doesn't say 99.6% pure water, 0.4% raw sewage. Hallelujah. Enjoy. Take a big drink. How many of you would drink 0.4% raw sewage? I mean, it's just 0.4. It's not even 1%. I wouldn't. People are doing it all over the world today. Part what God says, part what someone else says. If what someone else says doesn't line up with what God says, throw out what someone else says. You know, I heard this phrase one time that everybody's got an opinion and they're like trash cans. Everyone has one and they stink. Right? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Tell your problem and somebody will give you an opinion as to what you need to do. But the issue is, what does God say you need to do? Amen? So, it's clean. Number six, the Bible says that the judgments of the Lord are true. Are you getting anything out of this? Notice this, it is always true. And truth, truth will stand alone. Truth doesn't need to be propped up. Truth doesn't have to have a, a, a it doesn't really have to have a friend. You know, truth, 
Truth was left alone in a garden over 2,000 years ago. People ran away from truth. The people that truth sowed himself into for three and a half years. He stood alone. He was on the cross alone. That means that it is always dependable, always relevant, always applicable in contrast to the lives of men who are victims of the father of lies, the devil himself. God's judgments are always true. So let's go through them again. It should be everything you wrote down now. Six characteristics is it is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So not only does it go by six names or have six titles and have six characteristics, it also does six things. Here it gets exciting because this is what it'll do. It works. Look at your neighbor and say, it works. And it works in six ways. Watch this. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. And what does it do? Restores the soul. You know what the word restore means? It means to transform. My first car was a 1963 Ford Falcon. I spent $200 for it. It was an ugly-looking white. It had an old Kansas tag over a rusted spot behind its one wheel. Uh, it, it, it was ugly, but I want to tell you what. I wish I still had that car. I got photos of that car. That car, when we were done with that car, was a nice, bright, canary yellow, shining with uh Oh, it had these ugly hubcaps on it, which I would still like to have those ugly hubcaps too. But it had, when I was done with it, it had chrome wheels on it with white raised letter tires. We took out the front seat, the back seat. We put in uh, nagahide leather. It was like cream and brown and uh, had a hard dash. I mean, you wouldn't want to hit your head on that dash. You could knock the plum out because it was not padded at all. My dad sanded that thing down. He took a Krylon spray can and painted that thing brown. It was beautiful. It was transformed. What you would not have wanted, in fact, I said, I don't want that thing. I think my dad would have bought it anyway. $200. I traded that in a few years later for a three-year-old 1977 Mercury Cougar. Straight across. I think I like the Ford Falcon better. But we are all in need of conversion. We, we, it's, it's, we're, we're in need of transformation. You need, like that core, car, a restoration. You need a transformer. You need converted. Those are accomplished only by the perfect law of the Lord. It's the only way you can be transformed. It's the agency of new birth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Number two, it makes wise the simple. Now, that's a nice way of saying it makes stupid people wise. Now, now, come on, how many of you have ever been, I'll, I'll say it this way, simple? 
How, how many of you have ever, and you just go ahead and admit, I've just been, Pastor, I've just been downright stupid. Anybody ever just made a stupid mistake? It's like, why'd you do that? I don't know. It was stupid. You got that right. Well, hallelujah. Thank you for agreeing with me. At least we're all in the same room. None, none of us have ever always been wise. But it will make wise the simple. Simple means, literally, this is what it means, an open door. A simple person is a person who's an open door. They're undiscerning. Okay, they don't know when to close the door. Church, I want to tell you something. In some things in life, you need to know when to shut the door. You see, they don't know what to close out. Right now, we're living in a culture, they don't know what to close out. Everything's coming in. But I love the word wise in the Hebrew. It is a rich Hebrew word. Listen to it. It means to be skilled in the act of godly living. I want that. I don't want to be a stupid person. I don't want to be a simple man. I want to be skilled in the art of godly living. That is what the testimony of the Lord will do, folks. And notice this. It's the testimony of the Lord. It's what He says that makes you wise. It's what He says about Himself that makes you wise. You can trust Him. He's a good dad. David knew that the source of wisdom was in God's Word. Number three. The Bible says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Man, there's a lot of people whose hearts need rejoicing. Well, they're going to find it in the precepts of God. It's the source of your joy, folks. If you will open up the book of Psalm chapter 119, you will read where God's statutes are literally songs to the believer. That's what the word psalm means, songs. I know what Psalm 119, it's some... Some of you probably dread when you have to read that one because it's the longest chapter in the Bible, like 174, 100 some, some verses. But listen, there are songs in there. They're, they're, they're literally Scripture set to music. And that is what will literally rejoice your heart. You need to do that. Open up the Word of God and just start singing those psalms. Number four. The Bible says that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. They enlighten your eyes. I said the word of the Lord is like a lamp to your feet, a light unto your path. It causes you to see clearly. Listen, you do not have to go to your friend or a psychic for enlightenment. God's commands will enlighten you as to what you need to do, which way you need to walk, how you need to act, how you need to live. Listen, church, I'm not an electrician. I'm not a plumber. I am not this and I'm not that. But there are sometimes I'm just minding my own business, pastoring, building a message, trying to, you know, just make worship songs. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, hey, David, you need to go do this with a thermostat. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. And I was sharing, I was sharing this with Mary. I'm like, we had we had a fan that kept just blowing, and we put a new thermostat in. There's got to be something wrong with the new thermostat because the fan motor would not shut off. And the Holy Spirit said, "Put the old one back on." I'm like, okay, we're going to put the old one back on. Took the old the new one off, put the new one back on, or old one back on. Guess what? Fan shut off. I'm like, there you go. 
Hallelujah, Lord. I'm not an electrician. I'm not, I'm not gifted in all of those things. But God will give you insight if you just will let him do it. Amen? He will literally give you wisdom. All right, where are we at? Win number five? Enlightens our eyes. There you go. Yeah. We've already, we've, already, we've already made this point in one of my messages prior, but it endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. Watch this. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That means it's not just for back then. It's not just for, you know, this, this is a real popular term today. Oh, well, you're old school. Mm-hmm. Pretty proud of it. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Are you just old-fashioned? Really? Thank you. I really appreciate that because that's the way my God is. He's not, he, he, the new fashion doesn't, doesn't mess him up. It doesn't, he doesn't have to be popular. You see, it's not for just back then, some far off time ago. It is for today, forever, and then ever, and then ever, and then just keep on adding ever. It's eternal. All right. I need to put the caboose to this. Number six, the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. It's totally right. It's comprehensive. No need to add anything to it. Don't add anything to it. Don't take away anything from it. So today, we don't need to entertain people. Amen? I just want you to know when you come to church, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not that good a singer. That's not what worship is about anyway. I'm not that good of a preacher and a speaker. I know that. I'm, I'm really, I'm a shy guy. Until the Lord does, does what he does, and then I let him do what he does in my life, and then I go and I, I'm usually a shy guy. But there was a Christian artist one time. She was a lady Christian artist that sings. And she kind of sang with a, like a sexy kind of a voice. And she did it on purpose. And she was once asked, why do you sing that way? And she said, well, the reason I sing that way is to reach the lost. Because I feel that if I have a sexy voice in a godly way, people will be drawn to God. I'm like, hmm. How does one do that exactly? I I mean, unless that's just the way your voice is. But if we're trying to do something in our own power to make the gospel more appealing, we need to go back to the gospel. Don't add anything to it. Don't think anything away. Did you know what men like George Whitfield did? 
John Wesley did. Jonathan Edwards did. You know, Jonathan Edwards couldn't hardly even see. When Jonathan Edwards read, he literally read his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He literally stood up in his pulpit and he read the message because he couldn't already see and he held it up. And as he's preaching, the Holy Ghost is just coming upon the message and people, they're getting convicted under the power of the Holy Spirit and they're beginning to grip the pews in front of them and their knuckles are turning white. And by the time he's all done preaching that message, people are saying, I need to know God. I've gone to church for so many years, I don't even know the God he's talking about. I'm a sinner, I need to get saved. I've been having religion. I need a relationship with God. And those people, Spurgeon and Moody, they just preached the Word of God. They did it deeply. They did it profoundly. They did it theologically, and they taught it. And here was the message, men being measured on the basis of how they squared with the Word of God. Dwight Moody learned his lesson one day when he said, I'm going to finish this message and give you an opportunity to respond next week. On that Sunday, between that Sunday and the next Sunday, the great Chicago fire happened, and many people died in that fire that were in his service. And he said, never again. Never again will I bring the message of God to people and then not let them respond to it or give them the opportunity to do something for it. Here's the thing about a preacher. We are not responsible for what you do with what we say. We are not responsible for what you do with what God tells us to deliver. That's your responsibility, but we're called to deliver it. You know, today the message is getting lost in the method Few seem to care what the message is. All they care about is, did we enjoy it? Church, I don't know about you, but that scares me. It's scary. I believe that in today's church there is a famine for God's Word that I talked about last week in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11. It's on the bottom of your outline. Here's what it says. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God. When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. And I think we're there. You see, so many act as if God's word needs a prop, that it's not sufficient. They think that it's the Bible plus something, psychology, sociology, philosophy, or whatever. It, it, It concerns me. That, that, that much of the church's mentality is that we have to manipulate people to believe. That we have to entertain people to get them in. And yet, you know, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. All I have to do is preach the gospel. It's the power it's, it's kind of like, like our discipleship class, what Bob Goff was saying. Jesus doesn't need, really, he doesn't need PR people. Jesus leads people to Jesus if you just preach Jesus. So, my question is, is God's Word the power unto salvation or not? If it is, let's stand on that word. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I learned it when I was a little kid. It still works today.
Let's all stand to our feet. I got more to say. I'm going to say it next week. It's going to take me too long to tell you about it. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the sacredness of your word. Thank you that it is perfect, that it transforms my entire person. Thank you, Lord, that it is trustworthy, that it makes the simple person wise. Thank you, Lord, that it lays down the right path and it brings true joy to my heart. Thank you, Lord, that it helps me see things clearly, that I need to see them the way you see them. I embrace it afresh and anew. And the sacredness of the six things in title, in character, and in its work in my life. I commit afresh to read it, to hear it, to study it, and to live it. Empower me to do so by your precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next Sunday. We're going to continue on with that in a little bit different format. Love you all. Thank you for being with us. You have a great week. Stand strong on the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I hear the